Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a voyage of discovery for curious foodies everywhere. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with our foodie navigator, James Winter. Hello. And on today's show, we're going to be opening your cupboard doors to discover the sordid, surprising and downright extravagant secrets of your spice rack. Delving into the amazing history and remarkable criminal present of those small piles of powder that cost us so much. So join us on the Spice Road as we take a journey to the centre of spice. Hello, James. How are you? I'm all right. A bit, bit, a bit croaky actually this uh, this this week. Uh, I went out a bit late last night. Oh, I have to confess to the listeners who might think James's voice has dropped about, but if they if they listen that closely, it has. <laughs> I, I, as I'm talking, I can hear it at least sort of you know whatever it is decibels lower. Oh, I can yeah. hear but that yeah, now. So is that, that, but it was is that good wine fun. induced? Is that wine induced? Yeah, a bit of beer actually, a bit of uh, bit of IPA. It was nice. It was nice. lovely. Well, it's, there's a heat wave in the UK here for those of our listeners who are from this area. We, we, you will know what joys we're having in the sunshine, and I had a lot of enjoyment in the sun. Good, good. I think it's yeah. when when we do get our summer when it when it's here and it only comes in small doses. I think we need to fully embrace it. And as a Brit, that means drinking hideous amounts as soon as the sun of course, even peaks sitting out. In the sun till you're burnt. Yes, that's generally it. Yeah. That's all it ever is, isn't it? It's just, although again, you look at it as a British mentality, and when it rains, we're like, oh, great, and go in the pub. And when it's cold, oh, I need a beer to warm me up. Oh, it's sunny. Mm. I'll have a, I think it says more about us and our, <laughs> our necessity. The need for beer. Yeah, especially our listeners. I think it's a, uh, it's a so. constant need for it. Um, now, I wanted to find out from you, as we are, um, we promised we were going to have uh, regular ish updates on the. The most expensive hotel in the world, oh, yeah. with yeah. the not most expensive, but probably not far off, knowing you lot, uh, restaurant in the world, uh, inhabiting a, a inside it, build. Yeah. in I mean, Dubai. How's it going? That's right. It's go- Look, it's going. I mean, these projects are huge. I mean, I th- I, the last numbers I heard were in the sort of $1.89 billion um, dollars, uh, spent already building this project. So this is, this is enormous. I mean, you know, it is like a Death Star. <laughs> uh, in scale, I mean, it's it's just huge. So it is going. Um, it's it's still on track to open later this year. Whether it hits its target date or not, we're waiting to hear. Obviously, there's ten thousand workers on site every day doing. I don't know. I've got a man coming around to do my kitchen um, in a couple of weeks, so I'm multiplying him by ten thousand every day. It's what's going on in there. Um, so it's just a scale of it, but it's coming on. It looks like you know the, the, the building looks good. The restaurant is coming into shape. It looks like a restaurant. Um, we're frantically sort of you know making sure all the, all the service wares in place. The training's begun. Recruitment's begun. What service wear? What is service wear? Plates and glass and and, and stuff. Yeah, you know, plates and. That's not easily done though, because I've watched how long those guys take to go. Over. And also, that's not a cheap thing, right? I bet the stuff no, it's is- not. The, and it's not the money. It's it's the time when you're dealing with an entity as big as this. You, you can't just pop down to John Lewis and just get it like you would do if you're opening a restaurant. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd get it off eBay or whatever. You know, you'd have it in a week or two. This there's a whole systems of procurement and just takes forever to get anything done. You know, sort of. Oh, done. so you, you don't have really in. have all, you have autonomy, but only within the main frame of the big. Yes, and that's the hotel. struggle with these kind of projects. You have to plug in to their system, and then you know. You know, be aware of the time that that takes, and then chase that system because once you put something in there, it, it's a feeling that it you know, it just disappears into the ether for a while. I mean, it pops out, you know, six months down the line, and you, you know, you just, there's no way to know what or track the progress of certain things. So, you know, that's that's just the nature of if once it's in there, though, obviously it's much quicker. But you have to set up 
all these systems so the team are, are, are going through that that painstaking job i does I that remove do your that. but as a restaurant normally especially you know like the fact that is is a nimble operation and you'd go straight to suppliers right and it's a way to build relationships mm-hmm. get good deals does this mean that within this realm those relationships will always be one step removed. Um, well, yes. I mean, but getting things into Dubai is is a is a thing in itself. Um, but obviously, they can get supplies from anywhere. But you have to go through the protocols of of how products are brought into Dubai. They will happily go into the world and bring you anything you want. But you have to do it through the particular doorway, as it were. That they they you know they suggest quite strongly which uh, you do in fact you won't be able to bring it in any other way um so you know you you are connected to the same suppliers in a way that you you work to but you're right there's you're not one step removed there's one barrier in between but you're still able to try and plug suppliers that you know in but then some suppliers can't work to the system that we're now entangled with over there because it, the invoicing has suddenly gone from being seven days, 25 days, 30 days to like 90 to 3,000 days, you know, payment <laughs> terms. So these suppliers, if they're small, you know, growers, they just can't, they can't do that. You know, they can't, they need money and they need to be paid on time. And so it's, you know, it's, it's challenging. It's, interesting, it's, isn't possible. It? it's almost the mentality that you would need to have if you were, um, like a, a, a chain restaurant. I'm thinking one of those ones where you're opening 200 restaurants at once, but actually you're still opening a fine dining experience, which is a singular restaurant in a, it, with all those ways you're doing things, but you're having to do it in a way that is actually more akin to a, a, a much larger operation almost. Yeah, I guess so. But obviously we're not all... Everyone, every unit in that hotel isn't like a franchised um, sort of, you know, whatever fast food joint you know we're not all making the same things we're all making bespoke menus which need different products so it's 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 similar in scale but obviously each unit is totally unique so you know if you think i'm opening a, a you know whatever a f- a burger place with, with some golden arches i imagine you know what i get sent comes from the same place for every place in my territory gets their food sent from and it's the same and the menu is probably decided by someone not in my restaurant you know it's told to me from a regional whatever you know i don't mm. know you know so it's not you are plugging into an organized and also they will own the factory they will own the suppliers they will own the supply chain you know so it's, it's slightly different of scale yes but here new supply chains have to be created and obviously in the world we, we live in now it's difficult at the best of times but suddenly the world is a very complicated supply chain map um, for lots of reasons, you know, whether it be war or Brexit or or just transitional times and COVID and, you know, prices and just stuff. It's really complicated to, to ship things around the world now. Um, so, yeah, that's where it's at. It's trying to set all those things up. So hopefully when it opens its doors, it can just, everything gets easier. I mean, everything is hard until it gets easy. That's what someone said to me once. And the idea <laughs> being that it's, it's just the first time you do anything is tricky. You've got to set the template, you've got to set the routines in place, and then you've got to maintain them and get consistency and all that stuff. So there's a lot of people working very, very hard to get those systems in place. And we're you know, obviously working towards the idea that you know, the restaurant will be completed and ready for, for letting people in you know, very soon, which is brilliant. Can't wait. I think it's, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really enjoying the updates, and I'm, I, I'm enjoying sort of living it vicariously through it because it does seem like a real, a real challenge. And obviously I observed it when the Fat Duck and Dinner was moved to the Crown in Melbourne, which is a similar but not quite as big a, a machine. But also that was an established thing which was already there and the, the restaurant was moving into a thing where everything was already 
it right. was already working and it was just becoming a new part of that. Whereas in this, everything is new. Everything is being opened new. All the restaurants are going to have to open at the same time or in the same way. So it's, yeah, I, I, the the scale of it, I find quite fantastic. Oh, it's staggering. You know, I mean, you, you know, I mean, there's just so many parts of it where you just think, what? You know, there's like the world's biggest infinity pool on the roof. You've got Bellagio-style <laughs> water fire fountains being built outside, built by the people that built the Bellagio fountains. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's just enormous, enormous thing. You know, with, with artworks being created specifically for it. We've got we've got the world's largest jellyfish tank um, being you know, put in. And, and just, you know, just the scale of everything. Is is just so big, you know. Can't wait to start uh, sharing when the doors finally open. Actually, you know, we were talking just then about you know opening restaurants in that more franchise world. I do love occasionally pottering around where you in those web pages where you buy franchises. It's really good fun. I don't know if you've ever I done don't think it. I've ever done it. No. Oh, it's really good fun. You could buy a uh, a coffee republic for twenty five thousand. There you go. So I mean, well, a minimum. I thought they went bust. They might have actually. I don't know. I think that it's just one of those pages where you can look down them and uh, say, oh, okay, I fancy to buy, I want to buy Siesta Coffee. That's, right. min- that's minimum investment, 20,000 Franchises to buy. Yeah, you can buy everything. Everything you think of, all, all, all the big name ones that you know, you can, you can buy. And they all, as you'd imagine, come with a whole myriad of kind of things oh, no, you can... Kin- well, what you found? Oh, so I'm, so I thought this was it. This is like the search engine for franchise, wasn't it? it? Was a blinds company. I don't want to sell blinds, thanks. I, don't I wonder if you could buy. Uh, I wonder if you could buy Nando's. I wonder if you can do that. I, th- I, I think. Oh. Yeah, I think it's. it's really are they a franchise? I, are they? I don't know. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Because sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not, and you're never quite sure which one. Like Costa is, I'm sure, is one you can buy. I think that's one you can buy, and it's really interesting because you can you sort of see how the mechanics of it work, and you see how, how much everything costs, and uh, yeah, it's it's just really interesting how you can go and buy various different franchises, and obviously you have to invest a huge amount of time and money in getting up and running, but then you get the um, then you get all the information and everything sent to you. Yeah. Rep delicious requires fifty grand, and that's an American one. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, they 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 yeah. do all sorts of full franchise. Well, I've, I've seen. And, oh, look, we're going slightly off topic, but the, the, the brilliant film. It's actually it's not too off. It's not a topic now. It's about food. It's the founder. I don't. You, yeah, have you great. seen it with yeah, Michael Keaton about the beginnings of of McDonald's and that whole concept that McDonald's don't make burgers. They they just they're a property company. They own the land, so they they use satellite sort of machine AI and, and algorithms from space to look for where new roads are being built, new intersections are growing, oh, and wow. they're already ahead, plotting where they will want to put a McDonald's and buying that land. Oh <laughs> you know, they've God. already bought. I you know, I, I can only imagine in their great big super map of the world, they've already got sections of it bought. Where they're just waiting for you know, because when you imagine when you buy a franchise from McDonald's, you don't go, yeah, I'd like to put one in my town, please. No, they go, you're gonna have this one. <laughs> That's a good you point. Know. They probably say, "Yeah, this is where you can have it as well." I, weirdly, I don't find that um, all that unromantic. This idea of sort of mapping where people will go because I think that feels incredibly futuristic. It's almost mm. sort of, yes, this is where suddenly everyone will con- gather and then we'll move them over here. And it's what amazing power that is. To well, wield. yes, I mean it's just an it's it, it's that same algorithmic routine that asks you to identify. You know, traffic lights and bikes. You know, these computers now will just be scanning the pictures generated from from any weather sat or whatever satellites that are spanning the globe and just looking for patterns that that make sense to the patterns that they've told it to look. But that's for. fabulous because that means if we get enough people, we can completely subvert that. You know how they messed up when they um they did that thing with the share price of that gaming company and sort of broke the stock oh, markets. Yeah. So if we get enough mm-hmm. people involved, we could get them to open a McDonald's in I don't know Alaska in the middle or of something. A, <laughs> yes. 
the skeleton coast like in the middle of the desert or something it'd be great and the algorithms insist it's the place to build it that'd be oh, wonderful a, um, oh well, you can there's Kentucky Fried Chicken right? we should, this would be a good podcast obviously we're just chatting about content now but there's like a <laughs> franchise forum and networking lunch uh, tomorrow in fact uh, at Olympia for, oh. for people interested in opening a KFC franchise what's there the key go. to successful multi-unit multi-brand franchising now this is going to be one of those ones next time we tune on the podcast we'll have Impulse bought one <laughs> We'll have used, or so, we'll have used have the £300 in sponsorship we've raised over the past years, and we've bought ourselves a KFC. Uh, that would have been, or a Subway. KFC, Subway's the largest Subway. specialist sandwich provider in the UK. Uh, investment amount, 50 to 100 or 100 to 250 That's not a small amount of money to chuck at something, is it? I mean, no. that gets you off the ground. No, you've what, got to get that money from somewhere. Yeah, on right? completion, you'll be ready and prepared to open your own store. Subway credits is success. I mean, if you decide to go to Subway French Center, you're invited to attend local seminars and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, go. no, it's not. We'll I mean, do a podcast you, on this. Because this is the point. This is how that McDonald's, when you watch the founder, that the model works. Is that I have to borrow, I have to bring my money yep. and then buy all the things from you to build the franchise. So I not only pay for the franchise, I then have to buy all the building materials to build the unit from you on yeah. the site that you tell me. And then you know, promote, I'm promoting you by doing it anyway. Well, okay. they're just giving you a control of what's called the P&L, the profit and loss. So you, you, you then have to factor in repaying any loans. That, you know, if you didn't need them, you don't, you don't need to repay it. But you, you, you just have to factor paying everything back into the money that you're going to make selling Subway sandwiches. We'll do a pod on I'll be curious from my listeners. Do get in touch if you own one of these or if you ever considered it. And we'll do a pod on this. And James, we'll, we'll get together all the, all the franchises we can find and we'll try and, try and sort of... Um, buy one in our minds whichever one we're going to go for um and we'll, we'll, we'll delve yeah and if into there's somebody uh, listening just sat around with just pots of cash thinking god my life's dull you know wish i had a subway wish i had a franchise unit or these guys sound cool i'll i'll give them the money to buy a franchise <laughs> you know just just drop in and and you know we'll we'll open a franchise with it yeah we'll invest it on your behalf it's no problem at all there i'm sure it'll go it, yeah I'm sure I mean, it'll go famously well with well, <laughs> with all our experience oh my it god can only go as well as the other subways which sometimes do well yeah, or, think, or whichever. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure the experience is ever good, but I think the uh, the, the shops might do. Oh, well. well. yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's it clearly works in some level. It does, doesn't mm. it? I don't know why. I mean, in America. Anyway, are we meant to be talking spice? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the point of the podcast. So uh, as I mentioned beforehand, there is a uh, a fabulous spice shop that neither of us can remember the name of mm. in uh, in Notting Hill, which I occasionally wander into and. First found out about it when we were making one of the TV shows and Heston wanted random spice, which we had to go and get from there. And since then, I, I wander in there every so often and sort mm. of just gaze at the shelves and yeah. shelves and shelves of it. And it piqued my interest in it because obviously spices is something that we talk about quite a lot and we've mentioned before. But I thought it'd be really interesting to delve a little bit deeper into it. And I think that um, one of the first questions that you asked when we spoke about this before was, what is a spice? And you mm. found a definition of what a spice is. Well, technically, yeah. I mean, it is a seed, fruit, root bark, or other plant substance primarily used for flavour and colouring food. So they distinguish from herbs quite simply by the fact that the herbs are all the soft parts of the plant. So the leaves, the flowers, stems, um, which are used for flavour too, but, but for garnish. So they, I, I guess you can, you know, the seeds of the basil plant would be a spice. Um, but the leaves would be a herb, you know. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm guessing which lends it's that, itself you know. to well, yeah, which lends itself to lots of questions, which we'll come on to shortly. But also, one of the definitions I found about it, which goes beyond the sort of physical definition, is 
spices are luxuries. They are ornamental to our lives. And this is not my words, but they provide little nutritional value and beyond a few medical applications are entirely unnecessary to survival. But what they do offer is an escape from tedium and they take a joy of food beyond baseline requirements into something completely different. And they said, this definition says, while herbs are often chosen to complement and flatter the ingredients they adorn, spices call attention to themselves and they transform and sometimes completely uh, morph a dish into something quite special. But I love this idea that spices are luxuries and ornamental to our lives because that speaks a lot to some of the history that I wanted to explain to you about spices, which is uh, fantastically unjustifiable when you un- look at it through through that prism. Um, but it's quite interesting, isn't it? This idea that they bring no nutritional value. Yeah, but just flavour. And but obviously we are flavour driven species. I think. I mean, that's what I. Yes. I you know, we we like deliciousness. You know, when we we get enjoyment from food now uh, beyond you know just the nutritional functional value of eating you think you know meat you know yes we get more nutritional value perhaps you know because we can eat more of cooked meat but actually cooked meat tastes delicious for all those you know fantastic scientific reasons of myod reactions and and billions of flavor molecules being created when we you know burn these protein chains on the surfaces of meat whatever but they're delicious you know and that's why we do it you know and it's the same with spice if you if you must have you know, come across the nutmeg plant, the mace plant with the nutmeg seed inside, and just gone. This is unbelievable smell. You know, it's just, just so powerful. This, you know, this thing. You know, it must have been intoxicating when, you know, we we discovered that and worked out we could put it in food and and things like cinnamon and black pepper. You think of a world now without those? I mean, it just it just wouldn't it just can't, can you? I mean, well, that's you know. a very good point because what you, I mean exactly when you say when, when you say it's ornamental and has no nutritional value. Yes, in the very most simple scientific way, but like you're saying, if it actually helps and makes you eat other food, then it has a, a value and obviously nourishment of our kind of souls and nourishments of our minds and the interaction with foods. Just as you bring it up, um, nutmeg is actually, well, it has been considered an, an intoxicant. It's laced with something called uh, myristicin, which is, has hallucinogenic properties. Uh, and it's got, a cam- it's got a chemical that which is in, uh, sometimes used in making MDMA. Uh, psychedelic and it's even been mm. banned in uh it was banned for a while in new jersey state prison kitchens mm. because uh criminals were, were using smoking it. it yeah yeah it's incredible i'm sure i remember various people suggesting smoking i think you have to consume quite a large amount of it but yes i think you're apparently right. think a penny it's... matchbook this is a quote from back in the 40s a penny matchbooks full of nutmeg has the kick of three or four reefers dog or whatever you that mean, that what mean, they say in the, the 40s it would be uh yeah, yeah exactly sounds like an advert for nutmeg has the kick of three or four reefers mm-hmm. um, so let's go way back so um look we know that spice and the, the fascination with spice has been around for a long time and uh we don't you know we're not going to talk about the entirety of the history that's what we'd get wonderful people like mark meltonville in but there are some sort of stories to share um Apparently, two and a half thousand years ago, Arab traders used to tell stories of the ferocious cinnamon bird, or the cinnamologus, uh, which they said was a large bird which made its nest from cinnamon sticks. Wow. Uh, and the only way to get the cinnamon was to bait the bird with big chunks of meat, and then the bird would take the meat up to its nest, and the nest would get so heavy, the cinnamon sticks would fall down, and they could pick them up. I mean, it's absolute nonsense. Um, but it fooled the Greeks and the Romans for, for decades, and they were like, oh, wow, that sounds... That sounds that sounds difficult. That sounds like oh, a that's thing we how can't they got get. the cinnamon, not how they ate the bird. 
No, that's they were no, trying to get the cinnamon. It's, it's, well, it's, yeah, but that's what they said. That's how they said they got cinnamon from. They said it was from the special bird which made nests out of it. Um, it mm. was all basically a reason to. Um, it was just a way to sort of sell the product and, and make it that the Greeks and Romans couldn't go and get it because they didn't know this secret of where to find this bird. Well, it's an interesting plant, cinnamon. I mean, I'm winging it a bit now. I'm going to have a Google. The bark of it is is very different, and obviously, it strips of bark and then it's rolled. You know, so it must be. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a cinnamon tree. But it must have a very unusual bark quality to it. That's know. interesting. I've never. You're right. I've never, it's one of those things I've never. I've not seen. Uh, there's certainly not a cinnamon bird. So it would make sense to me that birds would use it to make nests. I mean, that's not. Well, yeah, yeah. You're like a Roman trader. You're easily fooled, and you're prepared to pay a premium for this. Oh, that's it a also cinnamon smells bird. Smells good, it? and it's really unusual. I mean, it's you know, it is an unusual thing, cinnamon, and it's the way it's harvested is quite tricky. I think. Oh yeah. To, oh, yeah. absolutely. It's not. It's not an easily. It's not easily got i mean in the in the uh we've got old um pliny the elders back again in the first oh, yeah. in the first century pepper was bought by weight like gold and silver and old mm. pliny uh was worried he wrote down he was worried that the empire was going to squander its wealth on uh such spices at its height a pound of pepper cost half a month's wages um and some chap called alaric the visigoth not quite sure he is, but he sounds brilliant. Uh, mm. On the verge of sacking Rome in 410 AD, um, he exacted £3,000 of black pepper as part of the city's ransom. So you give us some pepper and I won't blow your city up, uh, which is mm. which is amazing. And um, its value sustained through Europe, right through to the Middle Ages, and uh, landlords accepted pe- peppercorns as rent, and daughters mm. were married off with peppercorn dowries. You've heard of that phrase, right? And that's where it yeah, came pepper, from. Yes, well, I've heard of peppercorn rent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can see why people would want this, though. The food, you know, if, we, if we're trying to, you know, live whatever kind of, you know, exciting lifestyle at any point, these things offer a, a way to add excitement and deliciousness to your food, which must, in those times must have been pretty dull food-wise. I mean, you know, these things were super exotic. Oh. And I was just reading here that apparently Ramesses II was, was was mummified with peppercorns up his nose. Really? You know, yes. I mean, he had them stuffed in his nostrils, um, I guess, to, for, for some journey to the afterlife like the smell maybe it was value maybe it was you know yeah the smell um, was a big deal it was about cle- a lot of it was about about cleansing as well and there were certain mm. things you could and couldn't have um the dutch uh they were yeah i mean the dutch i mean talk about black pepper the dutch merchants tripled the price of uh the black pepper in the 1600s and in response uh, the british founded the east india company um, uh, and then we know what happened after that. I mean, the Raj was formed and India was clobbered. I mean, that's because mm, of pepper. Um, yeah. And the Dutch, my word, this is, this is. I mean, th- this is spices. We have to re- reiterate, this is about spice. The Dutch sought a monopoly on cloves. And the reason I mentioned mm-hmm. this one was cloves was one of those ones. There was a Chinese emperor and he insisted upon, um, no, none of, no one of his courtiers were ever allowed near him until they'd had a, a clove in their mouth to to get rid of their um, breath, Bad whatever breath. it was. Yeah, you could only smell breath. But in the six, um, in sixteen fifty two, the Dutch wanted a monopoly upon cloves. Probably a bit bitter about the pepper thing, um, and it was grown nowhere but the tropical islands, which I've never heard of, of Ternate and Tidor or Tidor. Uh, it's in Indonesia, basically, mm. what is Indonesia today. Um, and they introduced a scorched earth po- policy known as extrapolation, which basically meant felling, burning tens of thousands of clove trees uh, so they could have the absolute monopoly on it. It was a complete ecological disaster and it worked 
really well because for more than a century they kept the, the supplies so low and the price so high they made an incredible amount of money um mm. and then some uh frenchmen uh did a commando operation and smuggled some out uh, oh see, so went in and stole some yeah. yeah 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 and he took them to zamzibar and and, and pemba and africa and um yeah, and suddenly that then became, and that place then became somewhere that dominated the clove and 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 industry and countries. The, the fortune of entire countries was born off the back of some of these these mm. moments when these things just sort of um, and those exploded. Islands, I, I have what in my life been lucky enough to visit the island of Zanzibar, um, and just for smell when you get there, cut off your, your little little whatever small plane that you've you've got from Tanzania and you hopped over. And you land, and it's just intoxicating. Just this nutmeg and cinnamon and clove, just in the air. I mean, it's extraordinary. You know, I mean, when I, when I, when you talk about clothes, I just immediately I'm transported sometimes right back there to that kind of that that strange feeling where you know this is this is certainly not the southeast of England <laughs> anymore. I'm not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. I mean, it just that intoxication is a good is, word. You know, there is there mm. there seems to be some level of. I mean, there's definitely been mysticism in spices, but some level of madness associated with these things. And look, and we also we call them spices, but but in another word, you can call them diamonds or gold mm. or silver because it's just something that's rare that people want. Um, mm. The Dutch, and apologies to any of our Dutch listeners, but you were awful at this. Um, nutmeg this time. It once grew on the Ban- Banda Islands again in Indonesia um, mm. in the early 17th century after they've been smacking everyone around for their. Uh, their cloves, they slaughtered Banda's indigenous population to gain control of the spice. Uh, out of 15,000 natives, over, only 1,000 uh, remained. And then uh, in London, the price was marked up 60,000 times more than it was on the island because the Dutch went in and killed everybody. I mean, what Crazy. on earth yeah. is going It's incredible. Well, and it was money. So you say it's, it's, it was, it's gold. You know, it, it's exactly that. You know, these things have such high value that obviously people will do terrible things to take control of them. Yeah. And, and in a way, haven't really ever repatriated that situation, in my view. You know, that's where we are now, where people are starting to look back through history and gold on. Not only was this bad, but obviously your country's really benefited now. And while this country over here, that you took it all from you know, 200 years ago, still is recovering, you know, from the fact that its economy was taken away from it. Well, whole empires you know. rise and fall. And it, we, we sort of look, think about this and think, oh, this is an old, old-fashioned mm. thing. This was back. No, think about turmeric, right? And think about how popular it is now, how popular it's become medicinally. Mm. Um, in America, there's been a huge, I mean, in Britain as well, but in America, there's been a massive uh, rise in the interest in turmeric because of all the sort of goop and all these things using it in all their various different mm-hmm. um, ingredients. Mm-hmm. And they, they're the biggest importer in the world. Well, of the when you now. said there's no nutritional value, some of these spices have very strong health benefits. I mean, they do something. I mean, they've yeah, always medical been part value, of yeah. medicinal treatments you know the treatment of the humors i'm not an expert in medical history but you know, the whole idea that the body has humors these kind of you know different elements affecting our moods and our, 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 our sort of metabolisms and stuff were balanced and affected by other aromas you know when they found spices obviously it was a way you know you'd burn them you'd breathe them in you'd inhale them you'd rub them on your skin mm-hmm. you'd, you know whatever just to just to balance you out your, your you know yourself because they would they have a they have a physical effect some of these things i mean you know obviously some of them are spicy right so chilies and those 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 sort of seeds and spices are, are you know powerful things you have to be careful using them they will 
you know, they have chemicals in which are... Well, turmeric is an anti-inflammatory. It's proven mm. to be an anti-inflammatory. Some of, the, some of the health benefits, it has big health benefits, but some of them are being over-exaggerated. But it's, um, the demand for it at the moment is growing 6% a year in Europe. That's a huge rise mm. in demand. And wow. it, it, interestingly, which brings us right up to the modern day, that kind of thing puts a huge uh, strain on, on supply chains. But also, it, it starts allowing in people who are possibly uh, slightly lax when it comes to the moral, moral barometer. So there's a real problem at the moment in, firstly, where you're getting it from. So um, exploitation of farmers, uh, exploitation of workers. But also, there is organised crime getting involved in this and in turmeric in 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 all spices but turmeric is one of the examples of it and cutting the product with other uh poisonous products you can you can you can sometimes i mean you see these big bags of turmeric that you buy some places and you do you know i mean don't forget you can you can either spend your your entire life's wages buying a small amount of saffron or you can get a big bag of it down the local grocers you know, you know, somewhere along the line, one of those two products is is you know is different from the other. So there's clearly, you know, I've often wondered about this whether there's an industrial scale process of people cutting up spices. Oh yeah, look, this is on a so there was, there, it's very hard to understand this because there's also a lot of colourings added to these things. But they did mm-hmm. do a study um, into the spice industry and they looked at oregano because it's quite a high value one, and they found in one study that forty percent of batches of oregano were fake. So wow. it was, I mean, that's an incredible amount, right? This is almost like the things we sort of talk in harsh tones about what the Victorians did when they were cutting various products with other products. It's it's incredible, and and there's um, they're basically now using food fraud detection. They're using like molecular fingerprints to try and check and tell that these products are not being cut with other products. Mm. I was um, I was I found this. There was a multi-million fake saffron trafficking scheme that they recently busted in uh in spain it was amazing and we were talking five well more than 500 shipments of adulterated saffron worth more than 10 million pounds 17 arrests uh and they and they they seized luxury cars gold jewelry 400 kilograms of saffron threads and i mean it's incredible this is drug dealing right yeah yeah with the same kind of rewards in it um so it was yeah this is this is a fascinating part of the modern Mm. world of, of of spices that i didn't didn't think about and didn't realize no absolutely one other side story when you talk about turmeric it is um it's a an anti-inflammatory anti uh, antiseptic and um anticoagulant right so it does stop you bleeding so there is a school of thought that it's better to have in your kitchen a big bowl of turmeric should you cut your finger just to plunge it in um and really? it actually yeah no it does work i mean we didn't intend to test this idea, but once at the Good Food Show where James Martin was on stage <laughs> with Chris Evans, Chris inadvertently cut the tip of his finger off um, in front of uh, really? nine and a half thousand people. Yeah, um, and um, being Chris, he, he, just, he just plunged it into into a big bowl of turmeric. Lucky he had a big bowl yeah. of turmeric there. Well, it, it was a good future, so we got we, we didn't have it on hand. We had to go backstage and get all the little tubs of turmeric and put them in a bowl. Who knew this? <laughs> it, who, who was the person that said, oh, I know, turmeric will sort you out? Uh, a mixture of things. We, yeah, I mean, Chris's uh, right-hand person, Frothy Coffee Man, he's called on the radio, Hiten, is, <laughs> is um, of Indian descent, and I think he might have known... Um, oh, I was and, hoping it was going to be the yeah. St. John's ambulance crew come running no, it in. That wasn't that. They, no, they would have just <laughs> they would have put a little plaster on him and made him go and sit with his finger in the air. You know. <laughs> um, but it did, by all accounts, 
um, work. Obviously, his finger was uh, bright orange. That's what I was thinking. It's going to be orange for a long time, isn't it? Is he getting? But, I don't know. Um, the, the power of that stuff to color things. Even marble worktops can get. But it does the whole package, it. so it stopped the bleeding, and obviously it's antiseptic, and it regrew his finger. I mean, this is well, incredible I don't know about stuff. That. You'd have to, you'd have to, you'd have to. <laughs> and you can, to you can buy somewhere. your turmeric from Journey to the Center of Food. Thirty percent actual turmeric, seventy percent crushed up cornflakes. <laughs> I, well, you, you know, it got it got me thinking to like this idea of. Because you, you, it's basically exactly where you start, and you're like, well, what is a spice? Mm. And because I was curious, or what new spices? If there's, if we're discovering new plants and, and vegetation all the time, mm. Mm. why can't yeah. we be discovering new spices? And yep. I couldn't find anything new per se, but I could find things that are actually starting to be used, like leek powder, which looks amazing. And well, is, isn't that just leek? So yeah. But that's but you say it like well that's just leeks. I mean yeah. But does that become so, just that, that's now a spice? No, so that become no. But in terms of yes, yeah, so it's it's a new spice, a new way of using an existing product. So obviously we use leeks all the time in cooking. Um, yeah, but it's it, when it's crushed up, it it looks mm. like a bright green mm. powder, mm. and I suddenly yeah. I start thinking, well, I suppose that is a spice now. And if yeah, if, and I guess what we tend, what we also do, don't forget, we kind of discover whole new territories of cuisine, you know. So at the moment, you know, I mean, for, you know, we've known about the Middle East obviously for, for for thousands of years, but now you can buy Middle Eastern spices very easily in, in pretty much every shop in in the high street now. So you know, these spices like zatar and 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 you know, um, razal hanoui and and all these things which were very exotic and di- more difficult to get hold of now are very commonplace so people use them all the time so you know there's a very i'm sure there, there is a world of spice that exists that we haven't been able to have access to which i suppose is a different point to someone out there finding a brand new ingredient i mean that's well, that, that's, that's a very, very nice link james that was almost like you you, you knew what we were doing because i was got i got five here which you may or may not have heard of uh, mm. I'd be curious to know if you have, but you, I think you're completely right because also, you know, all our chefs out there listening are constantly pushing into new areas to try new things, and that means going off mm. to places and experiencing new things. So th- some of these may be very, you may have heard of them a lot, but uh, mm. have you heard of Ma- Ma- Malab? M H M A H M A H L A B. Malab. Malab. It's a spice no. that's quite expensive. These are modern, rare spices. Uh, it's mostly found in the Middle East, like you said. It's got yeah. a nutty flavour to it, but it's difficult to harvest because it, uh, it's a kernel found inside. Uh, a sort of cherry seed. So again, it's one of those things. It's hard to harvest, which means it's going to be expensive. It's going to be rare. So actually, the you know, I'm sure the, the taste benefits are fantastic, but they're probably not. They're probably comparable to something else because I'm just it's really, rare. What does, it, what does it taste similar to? Well, so the seed cone is ground to powder. Its flavour is similar, of course, to bitter almonds and cherry. We know that because seeds have benzaldehyde, mm-hmm. um, which is toxic too. I mean, they are they can have. I mean, it's the smell of arsenic and things, isn't it? I mean, they're. You know, but um, interesting. So it's used in in sort of cakes and things, presumably. Then, if it's marzipani, you'd think, wouldn't you? Is that kind yeah. of yeah? And interesting. Dried lime. Have you heard of this? Dried lime is well, basically, what it sounds like. It, it does on it says on the tin or does it says on the fruit? It's but a it's whole a powder. Is it? It was a whole dried lime. They look like basically black ping pong balls. And what do um, you do with it? Well, it has a. It, it, it's an earthy flavor which is quite different to the lime itself but you just use um i've heard you use a microplane just slice it up but i imagine you also because it's dried it'll be you can turn it into a powder oh, yeah. right 
And Visa, I'm having just Googled it, obviously the first link that comes up is uh, Waitrose. So, oh, there you go. You should know that. <laughs> so this one, must have been around, this one must have been around for a while. You can get dry black limes in the uh, Cook's Ingredients. Yeah. There you go. But I so guess this is the Middle Eastern. Uh, I think uh, I have come across these in the Middle Eastern world where, where there's a couple of well-known Middle Eastern chefs now, you know, that do a lot of television, Sabrina and, and a couple others. I think I might have come across these. Amcher powder as well. Oh, well. Amcher I've, powder, that's dried mango. So. I've got that, well, I've got that in my cupboard. There I was going to say to you, of one of the spices that I've discovered for myself, which I've discovered many, many years ago and has been available quite readily in different supermarkets for a while, is Amchur because it is dried mango powder. So What do you use that for it's then? Brin- it's just a level of sweetness. So when you're making a curry, you know, you can add heat, you can add sort of herbaceous things, you know, you can add some funk with acevatida. But really, if you want to add sweetness at the end, just to add, you know, sweetness and, and fre- it's the mango powder. So it's got a little bit of acidity. It's quite very sweet though. It's just a nice addition, you know. That's chicken really curry cool. with cocoa. It's a really because mango, it's a beautiful thing, you know. It's 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 a really lovely flavour. And so you just add a little teaspoon of that. And certain recipes will 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 go that way naturally, you know. And it, it just is something I've I've been using quietly, you know, ahead of the curve for for a number of years now. Atul Kocha, a chef, put me onto it. He loves it. He used I can't remember whether it was with a lamb dish he did years ago, um, where I first kind of came across Amchur. But um, it Ooh. is a great thing. Yeah, oh, that's fun, a bit. Uh, have you heard of the anna seed? Anna seed? Anna seed? Uh, it's dried pomegranate seeds. Uh, it gives a, a sour flavour to dishes, much like sumac. Um, it helps enhance the flavour of some, gives some depth to foods. You know, mm. you know, a lot, I know so a what lot do, of So well, how do you spell that one? Uh, the A-N-A-R seed. Oh, oh. So it sounds like, I thought you said anna seed. I was thinking, yeah, I know that one. But um, Anna? I mean, you know, chefs are always chasing the bitter, so I think that's something that... Very, I imagine this must be bitter, bitter, bitter. Yeah, yeah, Pomegranate yeah. seeds, because pomegranate's a pretty sour, sharp thing. So I imagine the seeds... Um, and black mm. cardamom, you've heard of that. It, it, obviously, we know cardamom. That's the black's, big one, yeah. I yeah. mean, yes, black, black, big one. Yeah, I mean, they're like it's the expensive. cardamom pods. Yeah. Yes, I mean, they have a slightly different flavour. That's why they're lovely. I mean, the green ones are, are very fragrant. You know, they have that, that sort of perfumery, you know, sort of, again, they're lovely in everything from, from curries to ice creams. Yeah. And pods in your coffee, you know, just one of those flavours that adds that kind just of... Just lying pool. around in little pots, aren't I, they? I can feel the desert wind brushing across <laughs> my neck, you know, when I, as I have this, you know, it's kind of... Um, and black cardamom obviously have a slightly... Um, a slightly different, you know, richer flavour. So it's, it's it's more expensive because it is a little bit more sophisticated a flavour. That a reinvention's a big deal as well. I reckon if we spoke to some of our historians and we started rediscovering some of like this thing called a pipal or pipal pepper, uh, which was used in the past, uh, but black pepper gained the popularity. But this is a longer pepper. Uh, but yes. uh, and it's one of those ones that. It's slightly different, but we've forgotten about it. But actually, you could rediscover these things. And it's not a new spice, but it's a rediscovery of an old spice. Absolutely. And if you're lucky, and there, there are lots a small of island of indigenous people you can go and, you know, conquer and then start your own empire. I mean, that seems like the, the way you do but it. But there are lots of peppers, you know, to go for. If you go to a proper, you know, imagine a spice shop in Notting Hill where we started this conversation. Imagine they will stock half a dozen to a dozen different types of pepper. Oh, you know, uh, yeah. the long peppers, the pompop pepper, the you know the um, um, the Tasmanian pepper, the you know, but all these little and they are some of them are amazing. I remember we did some development work at work with um, actually the team. This was with the team at dinner at the time, and we were looking into a dish. Interestingly enough, it was inspired by Alice in Wonderland, who makes a pepper tart in uh, for the uh, Queen of Hearts. They have pepper tarts, and pepper tarts are 
made of pepper mostly, says the Dormouse. <laughs> um, and so we were trying to look at a way of making a pepper tart. And obviously, we, we, yeah, we use Romano sweet peppers, but also to kind of do something with very fragrant And this uh, is sweeter, peppers. right? Right. Mm. Right. That's interesting. You know, what, but also, just a pepper a, tart. You, know, you think... Well, we never really developed it fully in the end, but it would be made of whatever, pepper, mostly. <laughs> it was the idea. So it could have Romano peppers, which are sweet red peppers. So you can make a tart out of anything, but we wanted a pepper tart. Um, but obviously we didn't just want you know, red peppers, bell peppers, or nice, you know, the big, long, sweet peppers you, you, you can buy. You know, we wanted that little nod to other peppers, you know, because we wanted it to be made of pepper, mostly. Um, and some of these ways, these Tasmanian peppers and these long peppers, you know, are not like with your peppercorns you have in your grinder. You can kind of steep them and they, they give off of, you know, they sort of steep in water and they make kind of these teas and stuff, which have this incredible flavour. I mean, it's, once you taste it, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not like black pepper. I mean, black pepper is a very distinct thing, but these are the same plant. Um, I'd get, yeah, I, I, mean, no. I go nose blind, but I do recommend anyone gets the opportunity to go to the spice shop in Labrick Grove or Notting Hill. You'd love it. I mean, they, after a while, mm. I just sort of sniff so many packets in there that they just tell me to stop. But it is brilliant because everything's got wonderful titles on it and names and you're not sure what they are and you just sniff away and it's amazing. And also they do tons of spice mixes. So I'm always buying little bags of, mm. well, this will be a nice Thai curry mix and this will be, and then just mix them all up for you. So you're not quite sure what you're getting as well, which is really delightful when you start chucking it in. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I guess there must be ones, like you say, that fall out of favour. I mean, we have that with herbs. Certain herbs were very popular in different periods of history, weren't they? I mean, but more of the wild herbs. Now we cultivate herbs. It tends to be the herbs that are easier to grow that seem to dominate our flavour spectrum, right? We don't have so much, you won't have an awful lot of marjoram you know, in your kitchen or sorrel or chervil and all these ones that would be in a wild Victorian, even, you know, or Tudor's definitely, you know, herb garden. And it must be the same with spices that slowly spice cultivation and production starts to dictate which spices become predominant um, across the, you know, the, the landscape because they can be made and they can be consistently made. And so that's the ones that we get, you know, that's why black pepper is everywhere, you know, now having been this incredibly luxurious rare spice, it's now must be being able to be grown, mass produced, shipped, packaged, dried, sent to every supermarket in every country of the universe, um, where some other peppers are harder to produce. Yeah. You know, large quantities. And that's just for cultivation. That's just agriculture, I guess. You know, at the end of the day, all these people are just farmers. You know, the whole world of these sort of, you know, when you think about, because so, as you were talking, I was thinking about wine and, and how wine, you know, wines and flavours in wines have spice it and all sorts of techniques that people use to, to add flavour and interesting things to whatever they're eating and drinking. But essentially, the real skill is in the farming, um, you know, of all these things, to be able to grow these products well, so they create something full of flavour. Yeah. That's the, that's the trick, you know, drying it. These are all, the processes post that point can only improve a, on what they've got. They can't, created out of nothing i mean that's the journey and study of wine which isn't for another podcast i am doing a wine course at the moment so i'm learning about this are you um, you're doing mm, it hey, i'm doing my wct level two for anyone ah. else out there who's who's done it or think about doing it i just heartily recommend it it's a very daunting but good fun oh fabulous. Um, but, i'm really glad you're doing it that's brilliant but what you've learned is that obviously that you've got to grow good grapes that's job one you know that's for, and so you know, that's what you get taught and that's what you learn. And so you're learning about how grapes are growing a little bit, you know, not in detail, but, you know, enough to understand. But there's a million factors. And that's in the same with herbs, with spices. You know, some things nature will allow you to do in its landscape, wherever it is in the world, but you still have to have the skill to cultivate it and grow it and produce it. 
Um, and and I guess that's where the spices come from, you know, you know, because yes, initially they might well come out of the landscape, but then they have to be cultivated, and so someone has to understand. The, you know, the biology of this plant and what it needs. Yeah, and how you make it in that place well. and how you morph it into something else. And um, this is, I mean, as far as areas that sort of spark conversation and debate, spices seems to be one that when you start rummaging around the internet, everyone's got a new idea of something to try. So please do get in touch, all our listeners out there who have tried new things and dried new things and crushed new things, because we would love to hear uh, your spice adventures and your suggestions mm. of things for everyone to try out there because it also feels just delightfully exotic and awfully fun just giving these things a go but um mm. but for this week james our little travel down the spice trail uh, we have run out of time on it but thank you ever so much sir. i enjoyed our little delve into the world of spice mm. and i and feel it like gets it's me just thinking about it. yeah it gets me thinking about other ways to explore it and obviously there's a whole world of japanese seasonings but i would love I would love somebody who knows their way around those Japanese seasonings to, to, to talk to us about that. You know, apart from we can all go into you know, some Japanese you know, ingredient supply if we're lucky to have one and, and buy some and just try them. But some of them are like catnip. They're just so delicious. You just Once you've found them, you just can't live without them. You know, and there's hundreds of them. These different mixes of spices and salt and flavours and umami and seaweed and stuff, you know. It's incredibly um, unctuous, isn't it? Mm, once you start... So there's... Yeah... Uh, no, I must go. I must go and try and track someone like that down in West London. I mean, there's so many Japanese, like pure Japanese, you know, restaurants and places with. Expertise. Well, there used to be a, a big Japanese community in um, along the A5. There used to be a huge Japanese hypermarket in Collindale when I first moved to London. I think it's gone now, and the Japanese community have, have grown or moved or shifted, or it's not quite so intense there. But obviously, you've got. We're lucky to have the Japanese centre in the heart of London, which is an amazing place to go and explore Japanese culture. It used to be in, um, in fact, it still might be High Street Ken, but there's also a shop in Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. Um, where you just go in and, I, I mean, we'll talk about this another time. We'll find someone who can help us navigate it, I think. Cause we'll just go and try We'll, we'll do a podcast culture. from there. We'll just go in there with a couple of microphones and try stuff. Well, there's a restaurant in there too. You know, you can go and yeah. have noodles there and, and sit there and then you can go and yeah absolutely we'll, we'll go we'll go we'll, well let's do this let's go and let's start exploring these things we talk about it all the time let's get off our we're on it and go, we're on it go out there wonderful well let's on that note transportable microphones otherwise, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll get some transportable microphones you get the spices uh for this week james thank you ever so much i will speak to you again next week pleasure